The Ohima Health and Wellness Podcast is a place created for people to share their experiences and lives that can include triggering and sensitive topics, such as different types of abuse, such as racism, sexism, substance abuse, classism, etc. The content in the podcast and on our webpage are not intended to constitute or be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your therapist or other qualified mental health professionals with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking it because of something you have heard on the podcast or on our website. We aim to create a safe and brave space that prides itself in the inclusivity of Black, Indigenous women of color. Thank you for your time and continued participation and support. Now let's get into the show. All right, so our guests for today's episode are Vanessa Hidalgo and Jessica Martinez. Vanessa is a third-year law student at the University of New Mexico School of Law. Vanessa is the online editor for the Tribal Law Journal and is the SBA University of New Mexico's Admissions Committee representative. Jessica is also a third-year uh, law student and a dual degree candidate at the University of New Mexico School of Law and the School of Public Administration. She is also pursuing an Indian law certificate and is the editor-in-chief of the Tribal, Tribal Law Journal. Um, so thank you, Jessica and Vanessa, for joining us today. How are you both? Doing well, thank you. Yes, we're excited to have you. Um, and so we kind of wanted to delve into our first question. Um, if you could tell us a little bit, and it depends on how each of you would you know, start off the whoever wants to answer first. Um, but we basically wanted to know, um, how does your journey look like? How did it start? And how does your journey currently look like now in terms of your mental uh, health and wellness? I think specifically, you know, because I think we kind of wanted to talk a little bit about our mental health journey and particular our uh, mental wellness and health concerning um, systemic racism in higher education. And so as far as like that in particular, um, I feel like when I first, before law school, I um, didn't, I didn't really, um, I guess like in my undergraduate career is when I kind of like started finding myself. So really it was um, about finding out like where I came from, who I am. And a lot of that is because um, when I was in college, I took courses such as race, gender, um, courses and courses like that. And so um, I, my, it wasn't until like my grandpa passed away, I think that I really started um, mm. kind of like looking into my culture and my background and is because most of my life up until that point, it was really focused on, you know, I went to private school. Um, and so a lot of it was, you know, with this white education. And so, um, and then, you know, my, my parents too, um, kind of, went along with like trying to, you know, um, like I didn't learn Spanish, I didn't learn um, Ilocano or Tagalog. Um, and so it wasn't really like something other than like the food and like what I ate, there wasn't really a lot of that like sense of identity. Um, and so 
once I went to college, I decided that, you know, I wanted to write, um, I wanted to do the honors history program. And, and so my honors thesis was focused on Mexican Americans in education, but looking at it through a critical race theory lens. So really it was like looking at critical race through critical race theory lens, um, looking at systemic racism and how that has led to um, what we see now in the education system as far as uh, Mexican Americans and the need for a more holistic um, like approach and wellness um, in the education system. And so um, really like, I think it was just like a culmination of my background. Um, I also have, my father was also incarcerated um, until I was a teenager. And so really like it was about realizing and seeing the systemic problems and not, um, and trying to find a way to reconcile that history and that trauma. And so uh, when I, you know, going into law school, it was always in the back of my mind, like that I wanted to give back to my community. And, you know, how did I, how did my progression as far as like my mental health and wellness concerning systemic racism and dealing with um, trauma, like historical trauma and stuff like that. And so really, I feel like it was more of this transformational resistance. And so that's like where my journey has taken me now. So like in law school, now I take, you know, like my, my history, my, my community's history, my family's history, and I kind of channel that I guess, mentally into what I'm doing and pursuing now. And so it's definitely been a struggle um, just in terms of trying to make sure that, you know, because it's really hard, especially in law school, mm -hmm. to continue to remember that stuff and continue to, um, you know, because we're always having, of course, the effects of systemic racism in school and our teachings and professors. And so it's really um, been a journey, I guess, for me to like be in this place now where I have to feel comfortable with who I am, know who I am, and continue to pursue my goals and where I'm going by thinking of, of you know, my communities and stuff like that. So that's, yeah, that's kind of how it's gone so far. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Vanessa. Um, and I think before I address what with me, I think it's important to hear this because, you know, Vanessa is one of the people that I connected with in law school right like you know we didn't we didn't connect right away because we didn't really we weren't in the same classes but um when we finally did connect on this level she's like one of my people like we will always have this bond because i think we share a lot in common so with me um i grew up in a really small rural town in northern new mexico springer it's very small it's like a speck on the map and a lot of people don't even know it exists and so um it was a really really small town and then when I was about 10, we moved to Las Cruces, New Mexico and Las Cruces, New Mexico is right on the border. Um, and it was, it was there that I realized that I wasn't, you know, well, I, I wasn't, I was different. I didn't have the same uh, economic background as the, a lot of the other students I was going to school with um, or, or the ones that were just as bad as me or even worse than me. It was becoming real blatant that, that there was a lot of issues with poverty throughout New Mexico and that um, you know, we were struggling and, you know, seeing that my father and my mother, you know, had to put us through a lot of, um, I guess, extra programs to kind of get, get on equal playing field. You know, it, it was a real, uh, I think, 
hard time for me growing up to kind of realize that my mother um, is is a Mexican immigrant. She came here undocumented, and she's not. She still to this day is not a citizen. She's a legal permanent resident. Resident. My father, he's he's from the United States, but um, he's been his family generationally has been in New Mexico for over 16 generations. Um, I'm a part of a tribe, um, the Chihene um, Nation of New Mexico. We are basically. Uh, a, a band of Chiricahua Apaches, but we're not federally recognized and kind of understanding what that means um, is kind of a hard reality that, you know, my people were were oppressed and were treated with such disrespect by the government and have, have been held down generationally that I do not know my language. Um, I do know Spanish. I grew up speaking Spanish and I grew up in a mixed status home, like I said, and that I think has really um, developed me into who I am today to understand that I have an appreciation for um, speaking Spanish, have an appreciation for my, my culture, my heritage, understanding um, who, who my what my family has gone through generationally, like, like Vanessa said, generational trauma is mm -hmm. a reality. Um, and understanding that when I'm in school, or from early childhood on that my story was never really given the same, uh, the same perspective that, you know, we were looked at differently in yeah. history, um, that this land was discovered, stuff like that language is important. Um, and so over time, just kind of growing up in, in, in Las Cruces, I started to see how immigrants were treated, dehumanized, um, and seeing how I had to kind of help my mom translate in a lot of situations, growing up, having to figure out how I was going to convey what my mom was wanting to say, and kind of, you know, maneuvering through that was really difficult. And so for me, um, not just with my own family, but seeing what, how it was affecting other people, really made me feel overwhelmed. Like I needed to do something, like I needed to be involved. And um, I got involved in the League of United Latin American Citizens, which is the um, oldest and largest Latino organization in the country. And I've been volunteering since I was about 13 years old. Um, and so ever since I got involved with LULAC, it was my way to kind of work with other people that were, were focused on, on, on social justice issues, were focused on, you know, protesting ground on the ground, you know, doing what we could to educate from the top down. And, and it was just, it was a very interesting time to be a, you know, a teenager and doing that and going across the country meeting other undocumented, meeting undocumented students, meeting people yes. from different walks of life, um, working with NAACP, working with different groups. And I think that's when I realized like, mm. you know, there are a lot of people that care about making a difference. And then eventually, um, I went to law school and for me, it was a long journey because I wasn't as young as some of the other people in law school. I'm 30 now. I started when I was about 28. Um, and it, it was a lot of, I guess, coming to, coming to terms with the fact that it was time to go to law school. And it really came down to the fact that Trump became president. And I was realizing that I had let go of my dream of going to law school and serving in, in, in as a legal advocate. Um, because I was afraid or I was, I didn't think I was good enough, or I felt like it was going to be too much money, or there was all these other excuses that I made to not go. And then finally, I told myself, you know, it's time. I can't stand by anymore. Like, I've been involved as a community organizer, but I don't have the tools to make, uh, make the change. And I can, I'm only one person, but I feel like being a, being a lawyer, I can have more knowledge about how to combat it and to be the person that can be there on that level. And so I felt like that was my calling. Everyone has their own, but I felt like it was time to do it. And then I finally came and I'm happy I did because I feel um, 
I feel motivated. Right. I feel really motivated. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank, thank you ladies so much for, for sharing so openly. Um, I was, I'm wondering how, how has dealing with that level of racism affected your mental and physical health or how have you seen it show up? Um, and that's for both of you. Yeah. So, um, this, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. especially in law school, um, you know, I, I pulled some statistics in the American Bar Association. So, um, their statistics are that 63% percent of lawyers are male and 60 and 86 percent are white and so you know like just like being in this space that we know was not created you know for us Mm -hmm. has been Mm -hmm. continued Mm -hmm. and even now like you know being in this space like we know that there is other things in place systemic racism at play here that Mm -hmm. continues to prohibit Uh, Mm -hmm. people of color communities of color from entering into these spaces and so you know it's super difficult knowing that you know we're one of you know depending on which demographic we're in to potentially two percent like I looked at the ABDA and multiracial people like myself and like Jessica represent two percent of the the population of lawyers in the United States and so it's really um it's really hard knowing that knowing the fact that you know, the disparities in representation and wondering like, mm-hmm. well, if this is mm-hmm. continuing, if systemic racism is so ingrained in higher education and specifically in law school, how are we going to get um, communities of color right. representation? How are we going to get people who look like us in these places mm-hmm. if we have these mechanisms, if they have these mechanisms yeah. in place that continue to deny us and and um, give us a chance to enter into these spaces. And so that's mm-hmm. been like the hardest thing for me, I think is, is kind of um, knowing, you know, the disparities, um, knowing that there is this protection of white privilege and white power. Mm-hmm. And, and knowing that like, if, if 86% of lawyers are white, then like, right. you know, you have like, why, why is that? And to me, mm-hmm. it's kind of like this level of well, we're protecting somebody, right? We're protecting the master narrative, the dominant. Um, and so really like what, you know, and not only that, but even the material that we learn in school is, you know, I mean, all the law, all the law is like, as we, we see in school and we learn about is totally directed toward disenfranchising people of color and communities of color Mm. and so Mm. you know we're learning about Mm -hmm. this and 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 then we see like that even today in the laws even though we may think that you know well we're not there anymore there's still the you know the um the remnants of racism and and uh you know because that's what like our history has like Mm -hmm. so even Mm -hmm these laws today you know we have to sit in class and learn this western train of thought and mm-hmm. try you know they they are trying to make us think in this western yeah. train of thought trying to make us argue in this western you know in this westernized oh mm-hmm. assimilate assimilation ways and so you know part of that is like well I don't want to uh, I don't want to be that right I don't want to be that mm-hmm. for 
my clients. I don't want to go out there after law school and forget the reason why I'm there. And so, you know, part, you know, that's been really um, hard to deal with as well as like the imposter syndrome, um, which, you know, Mm. of course it's like, am I, am I good enough? I mean, I've had times in law school where, especially this past semester with the pandemic, where I was like, did I make the right decision to come here? You know, is it worth it? Is it worth like me? And with everything else going on, you know, with Trump as president and just the rise in white nationalism and, you know, like I was starting to just feel Mm. a little overwhelmed with the whole situation and yeah and you know and I was part um I was also in a place where you know we would hear where I would hear personally people say that you know well um just just like talking about scores and stuff in school and and Mm -hmm. well if you you know if you don't do well here how are you going to pass the bar you know all of this like Mm. negativity and all of this I guess essentially it's like racism right it's like Mm -hmm. because we know that they look at scores when we're entering into these places and so if we're not performing a certain way or if we're not if our analysis isn't directed or isn't I guess reflective of this western train Mm -hmm. of thought then we're not doing our job we're not doing well or we're not you know getting it um and so really it's like I got to this point where I was like questioning my abilities questioning my capabilities Mm. questioning whether I was supposed to be in this space because of just all of this Mm. um, just negativity and also like Mm. I said this just the uh, perpetuation of white supremacy and Mm -hmm. um, western this western school of you know thought and so yeah so that that's and you know and I think Jessica could probably expand more on like the microaggressions that happens in law school and how that has affected us so yeah yeah like how does how so yeah going into that how Jessica how has that um affected your mental health specifically with microaggressions because I know a lot of um people of color but even more specifically women of color we deal with micro aggressions um, on a daily basis. So how do you deal with it? What have you experienced if you feel like sharing that? Um, and like, how has it impacted your mental health and even your physical health? Yeah, I mean, law school, it's a very unique experience. It's just like Vanessa mm-hmm. said, I mean, we're learning about power. We're learning about where it stems from. And they don't say it's mm-hmm. white supremacy, but that's what it is. And so, right. you know, learning about the law, like even the law, we just like just learning about uh, of um, property law, for example, you're learning about um, the law of discovery and they don't say what it really is, mm. not conquest. They don't use the terms that, you know, we think, okay, like maybe we should rephrase that. And um, so I think there's a lot of conversations that happen behind closed doors in those, in those classrooms that, I think can be really traumatic for some of us. We're like, okay, like, you you know, have some sensitivity, but at the same time, you know, I think it's grounding for those of us that are dealing with that to be able to like take a step back and, and like also hold them accountable. I think for me, like anytime I hear a microaggression, I'm, I'm, 
I know sometimes it's exhausting and there's times I don't, mm -hmm. but for the most part, I'm trying to make it a point to address it yes. and say like, let's, it's time to hold you accountable for what you just said. This is how I felt when you said mm -hmm. that. And I need you to understand my perspective and why this is offensive. And mm -hmm. I think that's helped me a lot. And I think, I don't know. I, I feel like be okay with me sharing this. She's, she's um, a, a badass warrior in the courtroom. Um, she's a lawyer, but she taught and so was, it's a, it's a fellowship program that not many law schools have. And essentially we um, teach constitutional law to high schools. Mm. Okay. And we, the basic constitutional rights, and then we teach them kind of how to, how to be oral advocates and compete in a moot court competition. And so mm -hmm. each of us are kind of paired in different schools and my law school partner and I, like we had a, a great experience overall, best, one of the best experiences I've had, but I assumed that that space was a safe space because of what we were doing, right? Because um, mm. when the law students have to meet in a classroom before um, we go and teach the students, we kind of try to collaborate and figure out what works for everyone and what we like any ideas that we can pull from each other. Yeah. Um, and then we would read material that we thought would be helpful um, to kind of, you know, learn about or address because we were working with with young people so we thought it was important to, to talk about microaggressions to talk about things and there's one experience that i'll never forget and it was it was an article about microaggressions this is the ironic thing about it and i thought it was a fantastic article it addressed it it talked about you know what we face and unfortunately a woman of color said i was offended by the term white and I was like kind of taken back that the entire article addressed all of what we go through, yet the one thing that was focused on was that the term white was offensive. And I mm. couldn't believe it. And then as, as, as I was observing the conversation moving forward, um, this, white, this white guy who wasn't even in our class, I don't know how he ended up there, he was like a guest of somebody's, was talking about like reverse racism and was like going off about how he felt and how in New Mexico he felt like he was discriminated against and for being a white guy and how he was offended by people using the term white privilege. Wow. And then there was this other student who basically said, we need to be cognizant of the white students that we're teaching and that wow. reverse racism is a reality. Wow. And I was like ready to punch a fucking, I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like we're reading about microaggressions. This whole fucking conversation turned into a microaggression and like, or to me, it was just straight up aggression for me. I was like, this is just ridiculous. Um, and like, there's a few of us that looked at each other, like what we have to address this. So we went, we, we, we addressed it and we said, look, you know, this literally has become a, a microaggression. Like you realize what you, the language that you're using right now, do you realize that you're focusing on, on like the one, the one thing that we're not supposed to be focused on with this article, which is addressing the fact that we're all dealing with with discrimination, we deal with trauma, we deal with so many things, and there's going to be a lot of students that are going to need us to advocate for them. And this just shows that yeah. we have a lot to learn and that, you know, there needs to be a lot of training and a lot of courses on race and the law specifically, mm -hmm. because I thought this was a safe space where all of us were kind of like-minded. I thought we were more evolved than this. And it was kind of crazy to see that a lot of the, com the comments came from people of color. And then wow. the, the white people then felt empowered in the class. And then I was proud of the white allies in the class that were like, no, like, this is not right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that conversation was eye-awakening experience because 
I, I had already felt a lot of microaggressions as it was in classes when people were like, oh, like, you know, that person should have been convicted, but they didn't look at the fact, the facts of the law that showed that this person was dealing with poverty, was dealing with right. other, you know, issues that they just humanized them and focused on them breaking the law rather than what's the story behind that. And I think that's the problem with the law is it's limiting. We need to look at humanizing people and looking at everything that that person or, or people are going through before we pick any kind of place of judgment on it at all. And, and so I think that that was already hard to deal with as it was. And then you go into a situation where you think, okay, this is a space where we can all work together. And then you hear those comments. It's, it's draining. It's, um, it's really, I guess, difficult because you think that, you know, wow, like of all places you hear that. And, and I think it was just good for me to see that there were other people willing to like step up and say this is wrong and it's not just my voice having to like educate it's not just my voice having to like i guess fight it that there was a lot of us coming together and saying like look let's let's have an open dialogue now now we've kind of opened the floodgates and we need to address all of these things and like talk about it because we can't be going into a classrooms thinking this way yeah and we can't be going into classrooms with these kind of perceptions because it's harmful and I think some of them were willing to take a step and reflect on it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they all did, but I know some of them were like, look, I apologize. Like we need, to, I, I admit that that was wrong. And so I think that's when I say like, I now I make it a point to really address it head on. It's, I think mm -hmm. it's healthy because it, it mm -hmm. forces a person to look at themselves and it forces me to look at myself too. I'm not always perfect. So it forces me to look at things that I do and reflect on that. And I think that's, that's the one thing about law school is we're, we're learning the, the skills to kind of be advocates, but sometimes we need to advocate for ourselves. And mm. sometimes we just, we, sometimes a lot of us internalize it and don't address it. And now I think for me, it's not, I'm, I'm finally realizing that I can speak up about things that I find uncomfortable in certain situations. Um, and even like in uh, evidence and trial practice, mm. um, you learning about evidence rules and you're learning how to apply them in trial. Mm -hmm. And we were put in like basically little groups to learn the skills and they would have different judges and lawyers come in and kind of give us constructive feedback. And it's really small, small circles of, of students that they, they kind of combined and we would all go up and we would all like object on each other or we would listen to each other and kind of hear what feedback we'd get and then we move forward. Well, um, most of my group were, were all female. Basically there's like two guys, I think. And um, the, a lot of the judges and a lot of the lawyers that would come in were very, um, they were just not constructive. They were very harsh in their, in their criticisms. And I noticed a pattern that a lot of the women were, oh, you're, you need to dress this way, or you need to look this way, mm -hmm. or you're not, wow. not, you don't need to smile more, or your presence is, needs, you need to work on your presence, your stage presence, or you need to do this or that. And it was very, um demeaning there was also like a lot of sexual harassment that i, I witnessed oh, um wow. one of them specifically hmm. told me like i messed up on, on an evidence rule and he's like you see this evidence book like this this you won't get this because you're a woman but he's like let's talk like you get it guys you get it guys those who are athletes we had to wear jock straps well this this rule book is like a jock, jock strap you should carry it with you everywhere you go it's 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 your it's your code and i was like not afraid to tell him that like he's wrong for even saying that it's inappropriate and you know having reporting his ass quite frankly yeah. but also like, 
standing up for other women. That was just my experience. There was other women that dealt with other stuff from the same person Mm -hmm. and seeing how like they would shrivel up and would feel like, okay, like I think I'm scared to even present. Mm -hmm. We're like, okay, no, like we had to advocate for each other. We had to be there for each other. And then we would lose just like a pattern of, of a lot of these judges saying praise to just the men, but they wouldn't praise any of us. And so we kind of had this we kind of turned it into an ongoing challenge. Which one of us is going to get the praise today? Which one of us females is going to get told we have mm-hmm. good stage presence or something positive? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and unfortunately, majority of our compliments came from other women in the legal profession. Wow. And you know, mm-hmm. so it was it was an eye-waking experience that this is a male-dominated field. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still right. a lot of work to be done. And that, you know, we as, as women, and especially women of color, we have to stick together and we have yes. to be there for each other so mm-hmm. I would take it a point I would make it a point to say to like my friends like hey you did a freaking great job good job on your opening good job mm-hmm. on your closing like if they're not going to get it from them they're going to get it from me um and so mm-hmm. that was kind of our way of yes. collaborating and say like hey I noticed you could have you could have said this better or that better but we would do it constructively and we would help each other right. and so I think that to me was really powerful because we left that experience I guess building a, a, a bond and a friendship and um we saw things from a very different perspective so then when we actually went to trial we felt really prepared and we felt like um motivated to to be the best that we could be and knowing that we were we were doing it in our own unique way and that's okay mm, yeah that's mm-hmm. amazing it sounds like y'all were really advocating for one another and empowering one another right, when you right. absolutely needed it you know like you, you all were being there for one another when everybody else was trying to, to marginalize you basically. Um, I'm so sorry that, that you had to deal with that. I, that's when I was hearing you say what, what that guy said and comparing it to a jock strap and then saying, saying, Oh, you ladies won't get this. I'm just like appalled at that. Like the fact that he thought that that was professional and that that was okay is just like, and I don't know, I, I'm wondering does like, cause to me, I was just like, oh, that really speaks to how these men operate in, in that space. Yeah. And um, do you feel like the, there were constantly things like that where there there's like this kind of in a way speaking down to the women, but like building the men up are like this, oh yeah, we're in the same kind of, it sounded like, you know, have you ever heard the, the, the phrase, like the good old boys, like the good old yeah. boys club. It's, that, that's what it made me think of like, oh yeah, we're in this together kind of thing. Um, excluding women. Um, but was this, was this something that frequently happened? I, I mean, I could tell you from my group, I don't know how every other group operated, mm-hmm. uh, but in my uh, trial practice group, we all, uh, about a three, three of us for sure, we would have conversations after class and we would say like, look, did you perceive the same thing? Yeah. And we would all agree, like we felt that there was a big push um, by some of the male judges and male lawyers to really build them in wow and like the women were like oh you didn't do this good enough or you didn't do this good enough and and it just was kind of overwhelming at times like okay like why even try but then I would say no we we just kept challenging each other we would be there for each other um there were Mm -hmm. a lot of really strong you know female judges that came in a really strong female lawyers that came in and they you know for the most part were really cognizant of what the language they used were really um 
constructive and, and, and positive. Right. So I think that was good. But then I would notice even with the women, they would build the men up too. There were some that wow. would. Okay. And so I kind of saw it as like, okay, this is something that we're going to have to deal with. It's just something that we're going to have to figure out how we're going to address. Um, and like I said, I wasn't afraid to, to express my thoughts. Yes. And um, so, and I think that's part of also my personality. Like I'm, I'm confrontational if I have to be. Mm. And um, I would tell I would tell the, like, afterwards I told the guy, I was like, look, that was highly inappropriate. Like that is wrong. Like mm-hmm. you made an actual student cry. Like you pissed wow. me off, but you made an actual student cry. Like that's beyond mm. what you should be doing here. Like that's not what you came here to do. Yeah. And so um, I just feel like that's, that's part of the culture in the legal profession. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us are trying to fight that stereotype Um, and we're trying to like change it because I mean, there, there's been some progress, but there's still so much work to be done. Yes. It's it's, right. Right. Absolutely. Especially in the litig as litigators, like there's a lot of people that, that, um, like a lot of males that dominate the the courtroom, they dominate that as their space. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, it's not your space. We're, we're, we're we're part of this as well. So I know that's, that's a big thing that I've observed, especially because like here's evidence in trial practice, clear example, they assume that they know that they're the authority and like, no, like that's not true. Mm -hmm. We're there. (laughs) Right. Wow. wow. I love the way that you empower yourself in that space. I wanted to be like, yes, but I was like, okay, Misha, control <laughs> yourself. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, uh, that inspires me at shit. I feel empowered right now. Um, but on right. that, on that note, oh, well, Kat, actually, did you, did you want to ask? Yeah, I did actually have, a, yeah, I did have a question um, specifically for both of you in, and now thinking about kind of your journey with your own mental health, your own physical health, being law students dealing with systemic racism, sexism, um, and whatnot. Um, thinking about the future generations. So I know Vanessa has a daughter, um, and I don't know, Jessica, if you have any children, but um, and even just thinking about the people become you know coming behind us, those who women, especially women of color, who are thinking about going to law school, um, what would you tell them in terms of like? words of encouragement, specifically, more specifically with how to, with their mental health, their physical health, how to take care of themselves. What is, what are some things that you would, you would give them? Yeah. So, you know, what I've, what I've learned, and it's definitely been a learning process, like going through the experience, like seeing what works for you and what doesn't. Um, And so, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely like one of the things that I was given, um, there was somebody from the ACLU who came and spoke to us. And so I asked him this specific question, like my first year, my first day of law school, I asked him, Mm -hmm. um, so how did you get through uh, law school in a space that's predominantly white as a person of color? And like, what advice would you give me? And so um, they told me that, you know, speak up, like let your voice be heard, always speak up, always, um, you know, always don't ever feel like your voice doesn't matter because it does. And um, so that would be like one thing. And I think like, you know, for those who are interested in law school, it's, it's definitely not going to be easy. Um, It has been hard and it's been a journey for, I'm sure Jessica knows, like, and Jessica as well can attest to that, that it's, it's definitely rough. Um, Not just the material itself, but also like all of this extra 
like stuff that we deal with as you know especially women of color um but I think like Jessica said like you know like surrounding ourselves with people who will uplift us um who feel the same as us um people who will also speak up to um finding someone you can confide in that understands like where you're coming from um Hmm. and really like I think one of the main things for me is remembering why I'm there you know um, I'm there Hmm. for my community I'm there for my people for my family for my ancestors you know like we're here for a purpose for creating pathways for our people Right. And so um, Mm -hmm. we're here to make a difference in our communities to continue fighting for representation in these predominantly white spaces. Um, And so just like taking that with me, as well as um, I think one of the things that has really helped me through this process is taking electives that are not focused on westernized thought. So at our Mm. school specifically, they give elective courses that I've taken and just has also taken um one of them is law of indigenous peoples and so that class specifically is um taught in a more community-based way in a more holistic way where we um we are there as a community talking about this paper that we're going to write but we also talk about how indigenous law is law right so not just like the law of a white person is law that we see today like this adversarial system but also placing importance in indigenous law and the way that they, you know, governed themselves before colonization and how that is also law. And so, you know, we took that class, I've taken wrongful convictions, which was also like a really great class. And currently I'm taking Mm -hmm. Indian civil rights, which, you know, is also a really good class to take. And it's not that, it's to break up the monotony of, you know, this westernized thought. And, And so I feel like if, you do go to a law school that offers those courses, it's always good to kind of Mm. like take those because that's kind of what kept me grounded and what kept me going. And a lot of these professors that are teaching these subjects are professors of color and they do relate to us and they can, you know, uplift us. And so I've noticed that in those spaces, um, I get, I don't, I get respect, right? Like from these Mm. teachers, they respect Mm. me, they're, they're, um, because they know, you know, they know mm-hmm. what it's like yeah. to be in the same position yes. as us. And so we need that sometimes, yeah. you know, we need that. We need that when we're in these spaces, we need to yes. have people that we can relate to, that we can look up to. And yeah. so um, I think- Yeah, community is so important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so really, you know, it's just like, also like trying not to internalize the oppression that's happening around you and fighting it um and knowing you know like that we're gonna succeed because we have a purpose here right like we're here for a reason like our purpose is way more than the child than the student whose parents are lawyers who come from privilege and wealth who well I was just supposed to be here you know this is this was my course since I was like a kid right like for us it's more than that right it's it's more than just the way it's more than generational you know wealth more than you know um generational privilege um and so you know I think I think when you know that you're fighting like I think also like knowing that you're fighting like 300 plus years of systemic racism and which is a (laughs) lot is also necessary you know and so um you know as far as like my daughter because I do have a daughter she's seven um it's actually amazing with her because, you know, I, I always want like thinking about, you know, her, I wanted before I even had her, 
I wanted her to be able to Mm. know who she was and where she came from before anything else. So my daughter goes to the Native American Community Academy, which is a school here in Albuquerque um, that its mission actually is focused on. um, Let me just pull it up real quick because it's actually really great, but they're they're more focused on a more like holistic wellness approach, um, culture, identity approach and um, incorporating that into their education wow. system. And so, you know, she, wow. when she, yeah. she learned her language there. So my husband is a tribal member with the Cheyenne River Sioux. And so um, my daughter, you know, she, um, he was actually adopted. And so he was adopted outside his tribe. Yes. So yes. he didn't um, actually grow up knowing where he came from or who his people were. And so having her in that school she gets to learn like their language that he never got to learn because he never got the opportunity yes. to do that so really it's like a full circle for us and it's it's really important for us that she goes there that she knows like where she comes from and her people and to not forget that because I feel like to know where you're going like you need to know where you came from and so yes. um that's what I think is like really important especially like if you know with your children you know if if you have any children like going forward and you know giving them a sense of identity knowing their identity is so important um for building like that foundation um and so like I wish I had that and so you know now that I get to provide that for my kid um I'm really happy that there's actually school there that does that and that's mission is that is identity um and so yeah yeah, I think that anybody who's looking to go into you know, higher education or law school specifically, Mm. um, really just taking that too, like that advice, like just knowing where you came from um, and who you are um, and your identity and bringing that with you because it'll definitely create um, a more clear vision of like what you want to do later on. that's amazing I actually grew up with Vanessa and so we I know that was something that was a struggle for both of us and we went to a really weird school that um (laughs) that it was really hard to it was more of like assimilating and really trying to get out of that um that bubble and so I really really appreciate now that you're doing it with your daughter I think it's amazing that you put her in a space and a place in a school that will really teach her her identity and I, I hope maybe one day when I have kids to do the same. So that's, that's amazing. This is growth. (laughs) Yeah. I, I agree. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, when I have kids, I want to do the same thing because I didn't go to the same school as you two, but as Kat knows, I went to a predominantly white Catholic private school and it was horrible Mm -hmm. for me there. You know, I dealt with a lot of racism. So I can empathize with both of you, um, even though, you know, I don't know all the details, but I definitely can empathize um, with that and, and and feeling, you know, the need to really, really connect with with your roots and, and I, um, cultural identity. But yeah, um, I think the, one of the last things we wanted to ask you two ladies were if you wanted to share just maybe your favorite ways of like showing love to yourself, um, tending to your mental health, um, you know, just how, whatever you want to call it, self-care, self-love, <laughs> self-pleasure. Um, yeah. If you feel comfortable sharing. 
um, so I, I guess can I just quickly answer the advice question? And oh yeah, into, like, of course. Because it kind of goes into that. It goes into that actually. But um, for me, I guess when it comes to law school specifically, I agree with Vanessa that whoever is interested in going to law school, especially when when it comes to women of color, we tend to uh, not think about ourselves individually. We think whatever decisions mm -hmm. we make, we realize what we decide impacts our community. It, we're thinking beyond that. And I think remembering that when you're in law school, because they try to train you to think a certain way. And a part of that, in a, in a way, I think they inadvertently, maybe they do it inadvertently, I don't know, try to kind of get you to think completely different than what you came in, like the mindset you came in. And so you, I think it's important to always acknowledge that you came mm. in with a purpose, just like Vanessa said, and to never forget that, and that your goal is beyond yourself, and that your goal is for community, and that you're trying to find a way to bring that perspective in the law and as a practicing lawyer in the future. And it's not to just be like everyone else. And so um, I think that that's my number one uh, piece of advice is not to forget your purpose, just like Vanessa mentioned. But in terms of like self-care, um, I am a mm. fundamental believer in meditation, prayer. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I personally, you know, I believe in sage and smudging. Mm -hmm. I believe in going to sweat lodges. Um, I believe in like, I love, I absolutely mm. love um, soaking in hot mm. springs. That's where I really feel most myself because mm. I could just be away and be in solitude and kind of reflect on everything and learn from that. And I think that that's super important is to just yeah. find whatever makes you feel your yes. best, whether it's facials. Um, I know for me, I grew up singing and singing mariachi is how mm. I feel most connected to my emotional uh, internal feelings. Yeah. And I can release it through, uh, through singing. And so for me, and music in general, not just singing, but music in general, if there's songs that I feel deeply connected to, or um, if it's just even like whether whatever genre, there's like music that I just feel hits the soul. I listen to that those uh, songs when I feel like I really need a, like a pick me up, or if I'm really pissed off. I don't. I'm not afraid to express whatever emotion I'm, mm -hmm. I'm facing in that moment. I let it flow through me because I think a part of also law school, not even just law school, just society. They don't want you to express your emotions. Like crying is perceived as weakness. Um, mm. You know, there's a lot of things that are perceived as weakness when actually I find it very comforting to be able to release those emotions. And so for me, music is one way to find that outlet and to use it to, to bring myself back into like a, a balance. And so for me, that works. And um, today, as a matter of fact, um, around noon Mountain Standard Time, we had a wellness coach come in uh, mm. for our externship course and so in externship courses all of us are just you know interning for different uh, fields and um, this law professor who's known for wellness she came in and she kind of talked to us about positive affirmations and like whatever feeling you have to like express it uh, by writing down what ways you can you can kind of cope with it and I really liked some of the stuff that she she mentioned and and she let us all kind of write down what we felt would get us through that and so sometimes it's just a matter of coaching your own mindset to realize that you are enough whatever it is that you feel is a positive affirmation for you that day whether it's coping with anxiety whether it's um you know just if you're mm. feeling like like imposter syndrome um 
I think for me, it was being able to write down in that today, this afternoon, just write down how I felt and then say like, no, like I am enough, I'm worthy and I'm, and I know myself and whatever, um, unique perspective I'm going to bring to the table that it's, it's worthy of the, of being there at that table. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that was my positive affirmation for the day. And then like tomorrow, I think whatever it is, if it's just being, uh, grateful for, for my life, grateful for my family, whether it's just, you know, feeling a sense of, of, of happiness and, and acknowledging all the good instead of just dwelling on the bad. Because I think um, sometimes it can, like I said, compounded stress, you can get into a toxic mindset. And for me, when I'm starting to feel that way, I try to like push through it and say like, no, there's all these other good things that are happening for me. And I got to remember all the good and not focus on the bad. And I can focus on things I can control and not dwell on the things that I can't and just try to find those positive things to push myself beyond that negative space. Um, and so that that's kind of just a little bit of what I do, but I feel like even just cooking, other people love baking mm -hmm. and and um, just activities with with friends and family and and being able to share that with, with my parents, especially right now during the pandemic. I'm at 30 years old, I'm back at home with my parents and I don't take this opportunity for granted. Every day, I break bread with them. I talk to them. I, you know, we sing together, we joke together, and we, you know, we're enjoying that we have each other. And I think that's acknowledging that and being happy to just be with whoever you can be with and share the positives is so profound, especially right now. And I think that's what's so beautiful about this is that we can connect on our what we have in common and learn from what we have, uh, learn from our differences and learn yeah. about um life and that there's meaning to this life and that we're we all have a purpose mm -hmm. and that those of us that are willing to spread that and help help each other through the the hard times it's worth it it's worth it when we we can come together and build on making this life as best as we can while we're still here wow that's amazing thank you for sharing how about you Vanessa yeah. I know you didn't um what do you do outside of law school um, yeah, so um, I think one of the things I mean, like having Jessica, like, you know, just like a friend to like open yeah. up to, um, I think really like sometimes I feel like there's other people that I can't open up to about these kinds of things, you know, and, and really having her there and like being able to like call her up and be like, guess what happened? I'm really pissed off right now. I mean, just like letting that out. But also like what Jessica said, like sometimes like I just cry, mm. like sometimes I just need that yeah. release, you know, um, crying. And and I think that's happened a lot for me. But of course, like when that happens, I always call somebody who I know is going to uplift me, who yes. I know is going to tell me, like, keep doing what yes. you're doing, you know, because what you're doing is important, you know, and like my dad told me that recently, like I was crying and I called him and I was like, told him like what was going on. He was just like, keep fighting, right? Because if you're not going to do it, then like mm -hmm. who else will? And so like, you know, creating that sense of purpose and just surrounding yourself with people who are going to be there for you and be supportive of you. But also I think um, another thing that, you know, has helped me a lot um, in my mental health and wellness journey, which I know is like sort of still kind of like a stigma, especially in communities yes. of color, but it's seeking help mm. through therapy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like definitely. And, you know, the law school has, um, done a decent job of providing um, a free therapist um, for us even through Zoom and That's so really I think like you know always seeking that help because 
I've, I did therapy for like three, four years. And, you know, honestly, like I, I have it in a little bit, but I feel like that's probably what I'm going to start doing again. And it's because, um, you know, like what Jessica said about positive affirmations and stuff like that. I mean, they give you the tools that you need to, um, Mm. really deal with some of that internalized, um, just emotions that you go through and deal with and, and trying to parse that Mm. out and, um, trying to, you know, um, really uh, think about what's going on in your head and uh, creating better ways to deal with, you know, what we deal with, such as systemic racism, trauma, anything that, you know, might be, like, you might be dealing with mentally. And so, like, I, I do, like, think that therapy helps, um, you know, people. And um, the other thing, you know, I, I like to dance, so my kid recently, actually, yes. my kid got me into buying a disco ball off Amazon for thirteen dollars. <laughs> Ooh, yay! <laughs> and so we'll just listen to music and dance, and so that's been really fun to do. And just you know, I think like just laughing with yeah. people, just like finding people yes. who make you laugh, because you know the world could just be so much you know and sometimes we just need to learn to like laugh to just like let just be happy about you know where we're at and I think like even you know we get so ingrained into what we're doing and all the things that are going on and especially us you know Jessica and I are thinking about the bar now and all these things and so really it's just like you know, her and I will, instead of talking about school, we'll be like, did you watch this show? Or like, did you go do this? Like, you know, because it's, it's a lot, you know, like we don't. And so it's like really just finding somebody to like get you out of that headspace out of, you know, that just like the overwhelming um, things in life to just like laugh and joke Mm -hmm. about and, um, you know, find like the good and like everything. And so I think, I think that's what I've enjoyed doing. Um, That's helped me too to get through law school is just like having a friend like mm-hmm. Jessica you know or having like people in my life like my family who just make me laugh and who like remind me you know like of the other things besides law school and, and stuff like that yeah and so yeah 100% agree with laughter because we we have such a, a fun time, like sidebar conversations while stuff's happening in real time. And like, she'll be making memes and <laughs> she'll be like, she'll just be joking about stuff. And it just makes it, it just makes it hilarious. It just makes it hilarious. Like uh, my group of friends, like we're always joking about something. And like when a professor's saying something and we're like, oh no, and we'll just start talking trash and like the side, or we'll be, um, we'll find some way or some gift to kind of, describe how we're feeling and we all just like in unison just like try to hold in the laughter while we're drinking our coffee on zoom so yeah. i think it really helps Ooh, laughter is such good really medicine mm-hmm. i love that oh absolutely and i have to say honestly i mean i'm a little biased because i'm a therapist and a woman of color but to hear you both like normalized therapy feels really good because um, that's like one of my main things is normalizing it for communities of color and also normalizing therapists who go to therapy. I go to therapy, like I would go more often than I do now if I (laughs) could afford it. Um, But yeah, it just, it felt, it was like, it made my heart happy to, to hear you say that and to see Jessica nodding in agreement. And it just, 
it felt really good. And, and also that you both are like, I'm not afraid to cry because I view crying the same way. It's not negative. I see it as a release. And also you can cry when you're happy, sad, mad. It's not just one emotion, you know? And um, I also wanted to say, I love how, how Jessica, you were saying that you're going to feel all your whole range of emotions and you're not gonna, you know, try to try to repress anything. And um, that's, that's a beautiful thing. I think there's space for every emotion for us to find ways to express it creatively, whatever, however works for us. So um, that felt that, that yeah. really touched me to hear that too. And I just wanted to say that. Yeah, thanks. And I agree 100% with therapy. I've gone to therapy. I need to get back into it, just like Vanessa said. Uh, we almost lost our therapist for the law school. Oh, no. And it was something that I think was kind of a scary thing just to hear that we were possibly going to lose this free resource. And it starts to, you know, remind us that that's so important, especially to this profession where um, you know, majority of, of, of lawyers deal with other, you know, whether it's, you know, alcoholism, drug addictions, we, there's a lot of, of, of things that aren't talked about or what lawyers mm. face and like a lot of the scary statistics, uh, suicide mm. rates. Uh, I know a handful of lawyers that have committed suicide. Wow. And so I think it's so, so important that we um, continue to provide these resources at our institution and in general, anywhere, you know, therapy is so important. Um, and I can't stress that enough. Like I, even when I, I can recall the times that I've gone, it has helped me so much. And I think the same reason that you discussed right. is like, I, if I had more money, I'd be there all the time. And so in some ways, you know, talking to Vanessa and talking to other people has been my therapy, but I do know like with a professional, it makes a huge difference because they're able to kind of, you know, unpack what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. That's you know, beneath what I cannot even identify when I try to self-reflect, there's things that I can't catch mm. that that therapist can catch and help me cope through that. That's complete, something completely different that I'm not even, even aware of at the time. And so I think it's important that we yeah. do normalize this mm. because there is a stigma. Yes. And I can say that specifically in the Latino culture, it's, it's very, um, very stigmatized. Wow. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah, that, that's definitely very, very powerful. Um, so actually our time is up, um, but I would like to say thank you so, so much. Well, we, Mitra and I, <laughs> would like to say thank you for yes. joining us today on our on this episode. Um, we really, really thought your words were very powerful and we know it will definitely impact um, our listeners too. Um, and so, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, thank you so much, both of you. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting us. Okay, I'm done.